It does sparkly like when, you, when you're reading an old like a book and a you know somebody comes into a saloon is bartender give me a sarsaparilla you're like yeah I'll have one too yeah I don't think they're alcoholic though well that's fine why would the bartenders give sarsaparillas I don't know I, that's, you got to look this up I was actually just talking about this with somebody the the ability to write food and drink sarsaparilla sarsaparilla. Um, the ability to write food and drink into stories, yeah. fiction or nonfiction, is such an interesting skill. And growing up, for me, the number one top dog at it was Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> Did you ever read Farmer's Boy? <laughs> no. So, I mean, you're familiar with Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Little House on the Prairie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she wrote about yeah. her family's journey on the plains. Yeah, we went to school together. Okay, good. Yeah. I figured you were pretty close in age. Yeah. And so her family went through so much scarcity out on the plains. So when she wrote the book about her husband's childhood, her husband was named Alonzo Wilder. He grew up with, for at the time, I mean, really, he grew up with plenty. Right. He grew up on this kind of rich farm in, I forget if it's Vermont or Wisconsin, one of those two. And so when she writes about the big family meals that they would have growing up, like she's she's telling her husband's story. It's not even her own story. But when she would write that, it sounded like the most sumptuous feasts. And for a long time, all I wanted was apples and onions because the way she wrote about <laughs> apples and onions in the book about her husband's yeah. childhood just sounded amazing. Yeah. And then you get a little bit older and, oh, apples and onions is just apples and onions. It's. But she really had a talent for writing about food. Yeah. No, I, I, there is something about reading about food or drink in books that is just really attractive. You know, I for me, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, because, you know, all these people, yeah. they did their horrible adventures and they were really tired. And then they show up at these spots and then they have these humongous feasts. And there are things that they have that I know that I don't like. They sound delicious within the context of the book. You know, right. you just have this mountains and mountains of food and you just think oh that's all right that's what's up uh, i still keep wanting to try turkish delight and i've had i've had the you know it's a little bit of a letdown a facsimile isn't it? of it and it's okay right but it's not the kind of thing where oh my soul has been tempted to give up my own flesh and blood <laughs> for these no. delights yeah i i i I had Turkish Delight, and then I had it again, and I want to have it a third time because it seems like it should be better than it actually is. Maybe maybe you're not getting the right brand exactly. of Turkish Delight. Exactly. Yeah. The White Witch brand would be so <laughs> much better. Yeah, it's one of those things where as a child you're like, this Turkish Delight must be a wicked sensual pleasure <laughs> to be so tempting. And then it's like a little jellied I know. thing. It's just, it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Come on, Edmund. It's the candy corn of literary food. It's, I, you know what? I would say it's a little bit better than candy corn. Oh, you don't like candy corn, though, I, do you? No, I, it's okay. Again, it's okay. See? It's the candy yeah. corn of literary but food. It's a little bit less okay, in my opinion, wow. than a Turkish, Turkish delight. delight. Yeah, no, Turkish delight. But I, I do understand what you're saying. Uh, the comparison is apt still. See, I, I love candy corn. I, I really wish that they had different colors of candy corn so you could eat it all year long. You know? <laughs> That's the big problem with candy corn. <laughs> well, because it's so Halloween-y, right? You got your orange and those other colors. and yeah. See, not having celebrated Halloween, really, growing up, I always thought of it as more of a Thanksgiving. Oh. Had the kind of rich fall colors for so Thanksgiving. They saved it all up for Thanksgiving. Apparently, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jig. I am Paul. And welcome back inside our crazy brains. And that's all there Paul's is. Paul's got nothing. That's Paul all there has. Is. There's nothing. Oh, was there. I supposed to say something? There? I, I mean, usually that's the way a podcast works. We have a conversation, oh, talk back and forth. It's early. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. It's not just a performance art. It's, <laughs> but you're right. It, it is. It is early. 
And um, speaking of things it's too early to talk about, racism, bigotry, (laughs) sexism. But we're going to have to go there because our hurt's so good uh, that we were tackling that Paul picked. That I picked. Thank you for blaming me on uh, that. (laughs) Go check the tapes. Uh, was I, called I knew Hawkeye, nothing about it. I knew nothing. AKA Karate Cops on Amazon Prime and Boy Howdy. So good it needed two names. <laughs> Though interestingly enough, I don't see anybody. I don't know where you saw. Where'd you see the AKA Karate Cops thing? You know, because I, I didn't uh, see it anywhere. Like on, they must have renamed it, right? Okay. They, so yeah, because I I think that that was maybe, the working title. Maybe it was and, the working title. All right. But yeah, it, it essentially, actually, it says so right here on on Wikipedia. It says Hawkeye, aka Karate Cops. Oh, on Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, on Wikipedia. On yeah, Wikipedia, that's, exactly. That's really. You know, it's reliable. Super reliable. It's as reliable as anything else on the internet. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> not totally inac- inaccurate. Um, yeah, it is. It is funny in this day and age of fake news. Yeah. With all these, you know what. Yes, young people do spread fake news from time to time, but I've noticed a lot of older folks tend to be the ones, at least in my Facebook and Twitter feeds, spreading a lot of this fake news. And they're the exact ones that used to tell us kids, hey, make sure you can't use Wikipedia as a source because it's not trustworthy. You can't trust what you read on the internet. Now they trust everything they read on the internet. (laughs) That's pretty hilarious, actually. Anyway. It's It's a bit ironic. Yes. But, uh... After after we talk about hurts so good and whether or not Hawkeye hurts so good, we we've tackled Daredevil season three and it's time to talk about it. I mean, I I had watched it by the end. Well, of, you probably watched it like the first two days after it, it came out. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't. I wasn't that. Uh, I used to be that, but it took me. I want to say it took me seven to ten days. Yeah, overall, it you know, took, I took me some longer, breaks. Yeah. which is bad because I have to write about that stuff. So yeah. you would think I would finish it quicker, but. Yeah. I just can't. It's hard. It's It's hard. hard. Like, I'm still young enough that I can get away with later nights, Paul. (laughs) Yeah. As opposed to me, where I think 9.30, ah, time to turn off the telly. Yeah, we're trying to coordinate our live tweet. Go to bed. We're trying to coordinate our live tweet for Hawkeye. (laughs) And I'm like, how about 8.15? And he's like, I don't know if my wife's going to make it to the opening credits at 8.15. She she, she wakes up at like 5 o'clock in the yeah. morning to go to work, Did she right? ma- But so she made it all the way through. She made it all the way through. She was keeping herself busy. She way to go, did, was not happy to be watching it. <laughs> Especially that. But we'll get into that yeah. more. But, um, you know, but I will say I know – I'm getting starting to get to the age where it's tougher for me to stay up late and watch these shows because my wife isn't into the the hyper violent stuff. So Daredevil's right. out of bounds yeah. for her. Yeah, and so for me to watch it, I've got to stay up and watch an episode or two until you know midnight. Sometimes maybe oh, one in the morning, and yeah. that that is becoming less and less feasible for me. Yeah, I think back to my college days, and I I did that every single night. I was up till one in the morning. You know, doing homework, playing video games, watching movies with my roommates, stuff like that, and then waking up at 7 a.m. for class, and that was just life. Yeah. Playing football and all that kind of stuff. That's tougher these days. It is tougher. It is tougher. It's harder to keep your sunny disposition if you don't get enough sleep. That is what the age that that I have accumulated has taught me. Yeah. You need your sleep. And I used to be... I'm actually... Here's... Here's my own personal measuring stick, and I don't know if this was anybody else's experience, but my dad was very adamant that um, many movies, like growing up, when I was as I was getting older, that were maybe a stretch. Maybe I was just old enough, or maybe not quite old enough, and he wasn't sure. He'd be like, "Okay, I need to watch it first, like, or I need to watch it again." Because Because you have a a great dad, you have a very good dad, and and I appreciated you know him doing that. It's probably saved me from some bad movies. However, (laughs) which you're now getting to watch now, which which I watch now. (laughs) Uh, But no, I don't. Um, But I used to be so frustrated because it'd take him so long to get around to it. Oh yeah, and I'd be like, "Come on, I go to bed at like I had to go to bed at like eight. And you go to bed later. Why don't you just watch? Stay up late and watch this stuff. Like I'm asking, I'm giving you an excuse to watch movies. It made no sense to me as a kid how he kept choosing sleep. It took him like six months to watch. I think it was Indiana Jones. Yeah. When I was like 11, and he was trying to remember if it would be okay for an 11 year old to watch Indiana Jones. He's like, I need to rewatch it. 
took him six months to finally rewatch it. And then, like, me bugging him, probably ad nauseum. Well, yeah. And I was and like, that's... come on, I'm telling you to watch a movie. Exactly. That's exactly. fun. No, and I wonder. But I'm, now I'm hitting that age. No, and I wonder what age that is. And it's probably different for everybody. But when you're a kid, and I think you even tweeted something to this effect, like, you can never, ever get tired. Your goal in life when you're a kid is to just to stay up for as long as possible. Right. And there comes to be a point where you say, you know what? I cannot wait to go to bed. Right. I'm right that right now. Yeah. I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm hitting the age where it's the rare thing that will get me to stay up yeah. that late. And so that's, that's a – uh, a good thing in Daredevil's favor that it did it because yeah. I, I got to give a shout out slash apology oh, yeah, to right. my We're cousin talking about Daredevil. I kind of forgot. Yeah, I got to get <laughs> that was our whole springboard here <laughs> that I did stay up late for that, and and so I do have to give a shout out slash apology to my co- my cousin Kenny because he he posted in the the Facebook group asking if anybody was playing Fortnite with their kids and I had just downloaded it because my eight year old is hearing about it from all of his friends and but it's still a shooting game and so my wife and I are like, Well, you gotta play it first, check it out, figure you know, see if it's okay for him to play. And so I tell my cousin, I tell Kenny, and I'm like, I, I downloaded it but I haven't played it. He's been playing it with his son and he's like, oh, it'd be here. and he's telling me all about it. He's giving me great information about it. And now it's been like three, four weeks, and I still haven't played Fortnite. Because every time it's like, ah, oh, I don't know. i got to stay up and learn new things. <laughs> and, oh, I just want to go to sleep. Like, my wife doesn't want to. <laughs> that is my life right there. <laughs> stay up, learn new things, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad. I feel bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kenny. It's just, you know, I'll, I'll stay up. I'll watch a show with my wife. We'll talk about the day, you know, whatever things we got to sort out. Which we'll is do good. projects. Nice. We'll cook. You know, we'll do all the good. You'll mi- cook? Uh, well, because of the holiday. Oh, okay. We were got cooking, it. you know, pies So and I was thinking, and... I'm, I was super, I was actually really impressed that you and your <laughs> wife cook together. I mean, that's really nice. We're starting to more often, but it was specifically because of the holidays. So, you know, just all those different marriage-like things and then 10, 10, 30 rolls around and, yeah, do I want to, like, create an account and figure oh, yeah. this out and get schooled by a bunch of 11-year-olds well, yeah. who are up way past their bedtime? Yeah. And so my poor eight-year-old and my poor cousin and his son are here waiting for me and shaking their fists. I'm, and I all I got to do is play a video game. You would think you would yeah. think I could find the motivation to do. That. You would think. So there you go. Shame on you, Jake. Get your priorities right. <sighs> but play speaking more of shame, <laughs> there's a lot of shame to be heaped upon Hawkeye. So let's dive right into hurt so good. Yes, Jake. Yes, Jake. Where far out of Paul? <laughs> Are you still injured? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have, for all this these, leaves you at such a loss for words. It does. For all these segments, I feel like I've come up with, you know, bad but passably bad intros <laughs> into them. Except for Hurt So Good. I've got nothing. So let's just dive right into the fact that Hurt So Good is us diving into the bowels of internet streaming services to dredge up, the try to dredge up the best of the worst movies. We just right. find the bad movies and we knock McDonald's bags over. There, thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, slam dunk that in the trash can. Ooh. Oh, oh, bad shot. Classic okay. LeBron James jumper. <laughs> All right. Um, and we find these bad movies, and then we watch them for you to find out if they're any good. Right. Because sometimes bad movies bad sort of are way. so bad that they're good. Right, right. And so uh, Paul, last time around, picked Hawkeye for Again us. goes the blame. From 1988. 1988. And, my prime. Uh which is fitting since it's on. It was on Amazon Prime. On Amazon so Prime, if you've got a it Prime was in my account, Prime. You could stream it, though. Uh, I will just say right off the bat, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Well, so Hawkeye, aka Karate Cops, yep. 
is sort of this uh, this prequel to Rush Hour. It's not really a prequel, but it came before the Rush Hour movies with Jackie Chan. And, it did, and and so it, it had sort of that that buddy cop karate feel, right? It yeah. was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be light. It was supposed to have a lot of action, and it really kind of failed on. Every single count. I'm I'm not even really sure what the movie was about. What was the movie even about? Yeah, essentially you've got a Las Vegas police officer. Knew that they were in Las Vegas. Alexander Hakamoto, who is just your average, everyday renegade cop who... From Texas. Kills first, kicks second, and asks questions never. And, uh, you know, he he's... Drawn a lot of ire from the police department for that strategy. They curse him out, literally curse him out yep. so often. Uh, and they're the bad guys for not being on board with that strategy. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. They're one of about <laughs> 17 bad guy groups here. But what happens like. What happens is, is he finds out that a childhood friend of his has been murdered. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the murder. And, and so he... And then he gets saddled with this random partner because of his renegade ways. And so then he and the partner, even though they were told not to, track down the try to track down what happened. Why did this, you know, friend of his get murdered? And that takes them and puts them squarely in the crosshairs of two different like rival but uneasy uneasy allied mobs. One right. a Japanese mob and the other Italian? It's Maybe. not. It's not really clear, but Maybe. it's kind of Italian. They wear shiny suits. Yeah, and so then the whole movie is him trying to figure out why his friend got murdered, and uh, yeah, that's there, it. And and that that's about yeah, that's it. Yeah, there you go. There's the story. There's the story. <laughs> yeah, and my main conclusion from this, Jake, after watching it, actually about 45 minutes into it, my main takeaway was realizing that a lot of what came across as really problematic, incredibly racist, so uncomfortable, so dumb, would have flown just fine in the in the 1980s. 1980s was a weird decade. You know, I think that it was... That's true. This, you, you confessed. We did a live tweet of this. You yeah. confessed to me in the live tweet that you were like, the 80s was kind of a weird, messed up time. It was messed up. And this movie is like the ultimate... In some ways, it's the ultimate 80s movie it had the synth soundtrack you kind of expected the arrhythmics to jump out at any time yeah you know always synth and i had captions going so it'd be like funky synth and then it'd be like sensual synth and it'd be like (laughs) romantic synth and then it'd be like action synth did you really i did (laughs) so it was telling me yeah what kind of synth i was hearing it was a great soundtrack (laughs) it was a great soundtrack it should if you won. love synth. Yeah. <laughs> and being a child of the 80s, and I only do synth. like me some synth. It was really, it was really driving music there. Yeah. But, but I think, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point that you make about the 80s because so much now the 80s is glamorized. Right. Right? And, and rightfully so. There was a lot of good stuff that came from the 80s. a lot of good stuff me? in the 80s. Paul was a product of the 80s. Um, parachute pants? You can't go par- wrong with parachute, parachute pants. Parachute pants were a product of the 80s. And I think it's kind of a reflection of the fact that people that are products of the 80s are reaching positions of leadership when it comes to creating things. Right. And they're getting they're exactly. able to make things. And so this is the so time they, they look back at. Right. The Goldbergs, case in point, you know, a TV Stranger show things. on ABC. Stranger Things on Netflix. Though that was 70s. No, it was pretty 80s. Oh, no. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. 80s. It takes place in the eighties. Why do so I think seventies? It just feels seventies to me. You it, know? It, it all blends in for you. I, there's a big difference between late eighties and yeah. early eighties. <laughs> that was there when is. the decades just started to just go crazy. Like yeah. we used to do things in decades. We can't do that anymore. Trends change so fast. I yeah. think the eighties is when trends started to really kick up. But all to say that, like, you look at the Goldbergs and it puts such a glow right. on the eighties. This felt like kind of that the raw like oh yeah we yeah those eighties the eighties that had, had some it had some problems weird rough yeah. edges like 
it was still okay to be this racist, this sexist, this bigoted. It was this really... wouldn't have ruffled too many feathers at the time. No, no, it was it was a little bit risque probably for the time. You know, they were definitely they were definitely sort of inching towards some hypothetical line back in the day, trying to shock a little bit. But it was all really within the comfort zone. Right. And some of the racist jokes that they have here. I mean, it was just so because because Hakamoto and and his partner, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Um, so one's Asian, one's black. And so you have a lot of sort of this this give and take, you know, jousting because of their different races. Um Hawkeye comes from Texas, so there's a lot of banter about that. There's and so you have all this banter sort of around these these stereotypes essentially, and it becomes back then. I think that it was more accepted to sort of dive into those stereotypes a little bit more in in a joking sort of way. They still weren't acceptable, but you could joke about them. Now it feels really super uncomfortable. Some of the things they were saying. I mean, this is this is stuff that has closed down businesses that right. you hear in this thing. You know, yeah, and they're if dropping they're, a line a minute. You know, yeah, yeah. And but you know, I will say the one thing they have going for it is that they're equal opportunity offenders. Like they're 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 ripping the Chinese, the Japanese, black people, Mexican people, gay people, oh my straight goodness. people. Like there's a whole scene. <laughs> was, oh my. My goodness. Just randomly dropped in the middle of the movie, you know, the the case isn't going well, and so he Hakamoto goes to a gay to pack some Oh S H I T with some guys. Cause apparently in Texas he th- he thinks it means dipping, I think. That's the I've okay, so Hakamoto I thought a recurring it was sort of like, joke. Yeah. Is that he, he talks about how he used to like to hang out with guys and pack the S H I T with them. Uh this is so we don't get an explicit rating from iTunes. Oh my goodness. And and he's like he clearly doesn't understand what that means and pretends like he thinks it means like dipping. Or right. chewing tobacco. Right. But I've never – is this a Texas thing? Because I have literally never heard that term used except to mean gay sex. And so I had he, never heard the term ever, ever. So but he, I could just sort of assume as soon as it was used and he used it in the wrong context, the t- context that he believes is correct. correct. And as soon as he said it, I thought that doesn't sound good. Yeah. They make one joke about it in a random scene and then they're like, you know what? Right. We should send him to a gay bar. For like five minutes and have him say this phrase like half a dozen times to gay men and they'll get super turned on. He'll be super clueless. It'll be hilarious. And so this random scene, no context, no reason for it to be in the movie of Hakamoto going to a gay bar telling every gay man he meets that he wants to pack S-H-I-T with other guys and and then leaves and then just takes off. I confounded me all of the gay men. It, <laughs> it left me speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I that whole scene was perhaps the most uncomfortable scene I have seen in the last five years. And I watch a lot of movies. Yeah. That was I I I oh my goodness. It was just incredible. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got other inexplicable things like uh, big buff bodybuilding Chippendale guys walking around shirtless in the Japanese mafia board meetings. Yeah, and, and he would always take off his shirt whenever he was around somebody with a suit. Yeah, he just which I thought. Oh, was I got to strip off my suit. I got to strip off my shirt now and be right. topless for this for the rest of this meeting. Yeah, and he was he was just like yeah. When I've tried reason. to do that in business meetings, it did not fly well. Doesn't he wouldn't go well. think that it would be acceptable. But this guy does it for card games. He does it for board meetings. It is Las Vegas, yeah. so it does get hot. Uh, apparently, this is a Vegas thing. But he's the only one who does it in the whole movie. <laughs> None <laughs> of the other guys do. <laughs> just this one guy. It was. It was I, so... I honestly think it was just a guy who was trying to make his career. Right. In that, like, and show off his body. Right. And so it was He wanted to scripted. get called from a real karate movie. He just did it know? as they shot because he knew they didn't have enough money for more film so they wouldn't be able to reshoot the scene. <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> he did it straight every time. And then when they went to actually roll, he stripped his shirt off. And the director's like, well, it's got to stay in the movie. Oh, my goodness. 
You know, it's it's actually sort of amazing after watching this movie because, like I say, I had not really heard about this movie before we chose it. I, it came up on on you know just a list of terrible movies that was available, so I thought, ah, let's let's try this out. It was. I watch a lot of bad movies in in purpose. You know, movies that are legitimately glorified for being bad. Yeah. Right. This movie was just that bad. I mean, it was really a terrible movie. And why it hasn't gotten more traction within the bad movie community, I do not know. And it might be because it is just so it is just so offensive in so many different ways, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of the really bad movies don't tend to be, at least in my experience so far. I'm not obviously I'm not super deep into this like some people are, but I've I've watched a fair number of bad movies yeah, in my day. I've forced you to do that. They don't tend to be like m- as morally offensive as right. they are like quality offensive. Right. You know, they tend to be pretty you know, mild. You know, there's tends to not be a lot of swearing or sex or violence. Like they're just really poorly made. They didn't have budget to do all this like right. apparently cussing costs a lot of budget usually. Right. You know, or right. whatever. And so this one is just so it bludgeons you on all sides. Just random swearing, you know, the racist jokes, the bigoted jokes. It's like and the bad or the good guys were just kind of they're jerks. really unlikable. They're yeah. really Hawk, unlikable. Hawkeye himself is unlikable. I mean, Hawkeye goes up and, and threatens these little kids. That oh, he's supposed that, to be that was my favorite scene of the whole movie, <laughs> where he he's this is like they're trying to okay this is how bad Hakamoto is right and because he gets prescripted to talk to these kids about becoming police officers and he doesn't want to do it and so a kid comes up and he's like you know what I did to a kid named Leonard he's like I kicked his head in and then I stomped on his nuts and then I blew his put a gun in his and <laughs> what what this is I I just censored it like it was. Foul what he said he would do to this kid. Yeah. And then they just this like... This little kid. Yeah. This little 10-year-old, he's he's threatening his very life and manliness and, oh my goodness, it was really terrible. It's really bad. So uh, so with that, where are we going to put this on the Hurts So Good scale? Here's This is where I'm really torn on this movie. So on the Hurts So Good scale, we have plus 10 to negative 10. Right. And everything in between. Zero is the worst of the worst. It's bad, but it's not so bad that it's good. And so it's just completely unwatchable. Zero is the worst score you can get. Negative 10 is the best worst score, the Hurts So Good score. That's your troll two, right? Exactly. For those of you who've seen it. So. Paul, where are you going to put this on your Hurts So Good scale? See, this is a really tricky one for me. I, I think that when you look at the actual production values, it's really a terrible movie. I yeah. mean, you can barely hear some of the dialogue. The movie is filmed by just one... Poor quality. Yeah, exactly. It's, the it's sound one effects are way off. home video type of quality type of movie. And, and the acting is terrible. The dialogue is silly. It's stilted, which makes it really... In terms of a bad movie, it has some strong possibilities. It really does. A lot of it is so bad that it is good, that right. it's fun to watch. But because the heroes are so unlikable and because there are so many things that make it really uncomfortable for, I think, modern audiences to watch, um, I would have to give this a negative four. Yeah. I was, I was going to give it a negative three. Yeah. For those reasons. And because there are some scenes I will say overall, like the badness of it that I wanted to like right. about it was even better than Sunday School Musical. But the badness of it that is just uncomfortable and that you yeah. can't really feel good about laughing at yeah. is so pervasive that Ultimately, it's like I couldn't watch this with anybody. I couldn't well, recommend this to anybody. Exactly. And and the other thing is is it, you're absolutely right. It's it's also really crass. It's really foul. Um, it's definitely an R-rated movie, which I was not necessarily expecting. And I think that you know there there's some really uncomfortable scenes where they beat a woman. There's there's a there's just a lot of stuff going on here that makes it pretty problematic to to say yeah. 
go out and turn on Amazon Prime and watch this sucker. It yeah. just it just doesn't cut it for me. No, can't can't give it that a okay. Uh, so there you have it, a negative three and a negative four on the Heard So Good scale. Pretty close to the worst score you can get. Sorry, Hawkeye. Um, but it's time for me to announce our next Heard So Good adventure. And this one I don't think we're going to have to worry about anybody threatening little kids unless <laughs> this movie not. enrages us so much that we need to, you know, like Paul goes crazy and decides to threaten little kids. Hopefully not. We're going we're gonna to pray that that doesn't happen. Over. <laughs> but uh, with this this one um, comes from Leon Worth. We got a suggestion like, on the Twitter. A listener, thank you very much, Leon, yeah. for this uh, this suggestion. We get tons of, of of suggestions all the time. Yeah, we'd love to hear your suggestions. But normally they're terrible suggestions, so um, we don't take them. And this is one I've heard about before but have never gotten around to. And it's the Star Wars Holiday Special. A comedy musical, if you ask the internet. <laughs> so, starring you guys know how I feel about musicals. Oh yeah, um, starring Mark Hamill, Carrie yep. Fisher, Harrison Ford. They're all there. Chewie's are there. Yep. B. Arthur's there. Wow, B. I Arthur, think Abe Vigoda might really? be there. Abe Vigoda. Who knows? Who's Abe Vigoda? Oh my goodness, you I don't, don't know, know who, who Abe Vigoda is? is? That makes me very sad. He was he was the old cop on Barney Miller. Ooh, I've what's Barney Miller? <laughs> I've heard of Barney Miller, but I have no idea what it, what Barney Miller is. And I've watched a lot of old stuff, like you know, Andy Griffith. Oh, you know, it was it was the it. best. I love Lucy. I've seen it. Honeymoon. It's it. the best cop procedural that was also a sitcom in well, the history go. of television. Well, there you go. So yeah, right. I can do the theme song for you if you like. I would like to hear that. It, it goes on. All right. Well, but. there you go. Um, all right. So actually for the Star Wars Holiday Special, it's not on Amazon Prime or Netflix. So this is a bit of a special case. The only place you can stream it online right now is on YouTube. YouTube. For free. So I'll put the link. Paul put up the link on our Twitter account so you can find it there. Or YouTube search it. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Very excited about this one. Excited about the suggestion. Excited to see. I hope it hurts so good. But actually, hurting so good. <laughs> what is a, a great fantastic segue. segue for Daredevil season three. <laughs> a crisis of faith. A demon in Hell's Kitchen. A devil, perhaps. Multiple devils. <laughs> Daredevil season three. It's been we're we're three seasons deep in Daredevil, folks. Three seasons on Netflix, and boy howdy, I'll say it again, boy howdy. Yeah, no, it, Daredevil. For those of you who, who aren't familiar with the Netflix Marvel, first of all, how dare shows. you? Exactly. Second of all, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. You can watch it if you have a Netflix account, which everybody does nowadays, it seems like. So that you have these – they started off kind of along the same lines of, as the, the superheroes that we see in the movies all the time. You know, you have the Avengers, the High Flying Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, all these people with these incredible superpowers. Netflix decided to take some, uh, some more grounded superheroes and turn them into these grittier, sometimes noirish, grounded shows that that really varied in quality. We talked a little bit about the Defenders some time ago, and uh, sometimes the 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 quality is not the best. Iron Fist was just canceled because it was wasn't particularly good, but Daredevil was really the first and is still, I think, the very best. Uh, of the shows starring Charlie Cox it has really I think it, it may be one of the most effective superhero stories there is on movies or television that I've ever seen it's really super effective that said it's incredibly gritty it's very violent it's um, it definitely has some problems from from you know this is not a movie that you would necessarily want your 11 year old watching yeah. but content coffee out with Paul but in terms of the writing in terms of the depth of the character and I love this character it really does um, it's really high quality stuff I think yeah 
Yeah, when you think about the fact that really this show overall, if you step back and take a 50,000-foot view, Daredevil one is a rumination on faith in an evil, evil, violent world and the nature of an active faith in the face of such oppressive, violent evil and what it tries to push you to and push you toward and push you away from as a human being, all wrapped up in this gritty superhero show that takes place almost exclusively in Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Right, right. So it's very concentrated. This is not a world-changing type of event like Infinity War. That is the part of the strength of the Daredevil series and season three doesn't try to change that formula. Yeah. They, they got a little bit away from that in season two mm-hmm. in terms of trying to make it a little bit bigger than Hell's Kitchen, but were really kept, they avoided getting too big and the Punisher's appearance in season two kind of helped keep that show right. rooted in the here and now versus getting real big and grandiose. Right. But Daredevil season three comes right back to this is all about Hell's Kitchen. It's all about Hell's Kitchen. It's all about Daredevil. Daredevil, for those of you who don't know, Daredevil is this this guy who was blinded at an early age. He was yeah. probably, what, eight Ten, or nine 11, or something. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. He, he was blinded he, somehow through his... His blindness, he developed these super incredible abilities in terms of hearing and in terms of sensing, being able to, yeah. to sense things. There were some chemicals touch. involved, some Catholic some, prayers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> as as usual for the blind kids, <laughs> chemicals and Catholic prayers turn them into superheroes. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. But yeah, it, it, and, and that's the other thing about, about Daredevil. So he he's this blind superhero. He has a lot of anger inside him, but but the thing that keeps him rooted sort of within the goodness and within the superhero world is really his Catholic faith. He is he is, I think, one of the most explicitly religious characters, religious characters that you see in all of superherodom. It's an incredibly important part of his life. And we see that in season one. He is he is pre outspoken in season two in season three it takes a really interesting turn because of what happened in the in the defenders and there is spoilers for the defenders here as well as daredevil season three so go ahead and you can you can go ahead just and tune us to out. the end yeah if you don't want spoilers for this but we're assuming you probably binge these things like we do yeah and exactly ready to get deep into we're them. probably but late to the party here's actually. your defenders and daredevil season three spoiler warning yeah so and continue. <laughs> Essentially, in The Defenders, uh, Daredevil gets together with some other of these Netflix-grounded superheroes. Jessica uh, Jones. Jessica Jones. Danny Rand. Luke Cage. Luke Cage. And so they save New York City. But a whole building collapses pretty much on top of Daredevil and his girlfriend at the time. Sort of good guy, sort of bad guy, girl. Anti-hero. Yes, Electra. exactly. Electra. They are presumed dead at the end of Defenders. As is typically the case when a, you know, a building 50 falls story on building you. falls on top of your head. It never feels good. Yeah. Never. Um, but somehow Daredevil does survive. He is literally in the opening moments he's sort of flushed out of the 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 whole wreckage of this building the through the sewer system. Sewer system. Yeah, exactly. And and so he comes out, but he comes out very very changed. He is missing Electra. He has lost his superpowers. He feels like he can't hear as well, so he can't fight. And he feels as though God has betrayed him. The city is still terrible. The city is still terrible. It's just all bad news for for poor old Matthew, uh, Matthew Murdoch. Murdoch. And and he is really struggling with his faith. He's he's essentially lost his faith. There's a really interesting part in the in the very opening episode or two where he speaks with uh with this sister who raised him as a child, Sister Maggie. And uh he compares himself to Job. How Job never really complained, which is not really true. No, but um, but I get his point, and he he essentially says, "I thought that I was God's soldier. I thought that I was Job, and all the suffering that I was putting myself through was was worth it because I was doing God's work." Now he feels like God betrayed him, and so he's just going to fight for himself. 
It's a really powerful scene, actually. And, and I think it, it's one of the things that makes this show so resonant is that it's willing to dive into that aspect of Matt Murdock's character um, so deeply and so realistically. This is, this is a story predicated on faith. But it never feels cheesy. It never feels like it would off-put someone who doesn't necessarily share that faith because it's so germane to the character. Yeah, frankly, there's a lot in the the Daredevil season three that feels almost like it echoes the struggle that I think a lot of young adults and old adults, you know, no matter where you are on the adult spectrum, have gone through where they were raised in a faith. Maybe they held to it very closely, but through you know, disappointment through frustration, through um, tragedy, through the evil of the world, they just couldn't, they couldn't hold on to it anymore because maybe they, they felt like they were let down by God or, you know, whatever that is. And this feels, it feels like really Matthew Murdoch is their avatar Mm -hmm. where it's, he is voicing all these things that you hear across all corners of society of where was God when this happened or where was God when that happened? Or I thought God told me to do this and it went horribly wrong. So he must not be real. And so I'm just going to do it my own way. I've, I have heard some of those exact phrases from people very close to me in my own life. You know, people I was raised with best friends, um, family members. Um, and so it feels very authentic Yeah, in that regard, obviously condensed and in a superhero context, but at the same time, it feels so grounded. Right, right, Because right. there are so many people, even if they're not out beating up bad guys in dark alleyways, that it felt like they had a purpose and a goal that they were living a certain way to fulfill and right. it didn't work out. Right. And the I way think they thought. and I think that that's really true. I think that that in some respects anyone who calls themselves Christian feels or should feel in some ways that we are doing God's work, that we are trying to give an example. We're trying to help people as we can. We're trying to to live our lives the best that we can and to please to to please and honor God, right? And and I think that that can be really, really hard. And God sometimes feels very silent in the moments when we could use him, his word and his vision and his direction most. And that can be really frustrating. You know, I think that the, like you, I have friends who have gone through periods, crises of faith. And I've gone, I've, I've had friends who have left their faith in part because of, of the experiences that they've had, and they just feel like God did not hear them. Um, one of the one of the, when I was a religion, religion writer, I did a story one time with with a guy who um, was suffering from cancer. He was a really strong, literally strong person who had who had lost about 150 pounds during his his battle with cancer, and he talked to me about how sometimes when he prayed, he felt the silence coming back at him. He was still a very strong Christian, and he talked to me at length about about how much comfort and solace his, his faith gave him, and yet he still experienced those times of silence, and they were frustrating and painful for him. Um, in some ways, as much as the cancer itself, I think, to, to feel that sense of, of separation from God. And I think that, that when you look at Matt Murdock within this, within the context of this show, you see that separation. You see that when his superpowers go away, um, he feels that separation. He feels like he doesn't have that gift that God gave him. And he literally feels like he can't hear God. Literally. He can't hear anything. That, that's he absolutely right. Yeah, and it's interesting to me. This is something that I wrote about in a blog, how in the first couple of episodes, he talks about how he feels as if he's underwater. And if you're a Christian, you know the symbolism of baptism. You know that it's symbolic of, of going into death and finding new life as you're raised from that water. Matt Murdock, within these first few episodes, he is underwater. He can he he feels like that's what he's hearing. That's how he's hearing the world. He's hearing it through that point of symbolic spiritual death. Yeah, and so as we get into the spoilery stuff, it's a fascinating thing to watch him walk that out in the presence of the the father, the priest 
the surrogate father slash priest who raised him. Father Lantum. Father Lantum. The surrogate mother, the nun. Sister Maggie. Raised him, Sister Maggie, who, as it turns out, was his real mom. What? Worst part of the show. Worst part of the show. Yeah, okay. I thought, why did, did they go that you direction? You didn't like that? I didn't like that. Okay. I thought it was just, I. you know, sometimes I don't like it when all these people are related to each other. I felt the same way. <laughs> You know, Leah, Luke's sister, I thought, oh, that's just a step too far, don't you of think? Of course that was what it was. Of course that was what it was. So, but anyway, it, it's, it is what it is. It might be germane to the, you know, it might have come right from the comic. Yeah, I don't know nothing about the Daredevil comic. You know, maybe people saw that coming. I, thought it I was, didn't see it coming. I Paul thought it was unnecessary. Like it. I, here's why I didn't mind it. Um, because it was it was in this part where, you know, he's wrestling as, as he's getting his superpowers back. And he's deciding, and, and Wilson Fisk is getting his superpowers back. You have right, this the main bad guy, Wilson Fisk. Yeah, Wilson is back, right? And, From the main terrible person in season one. Yeah, and he's he's kingpin. Yep, and he essentially is this big brute of a man who's incredibly smart and savvy. He looks to most of the world like a good guy because he's just a businessman. Even though, but under you know under the surface is where all of his malevolence happens, right? And so there's a parallel run up to regaining power. We essentially start with both of them being complete, almost completely powerless, but now growing in strength and trying to counter one another. And one of them, Wilson Fisk, clearly growing more powerful more quickly than Daredevil. And Daredevil Sauron feeling his strength. Yeah, and and Daredevil, Matthew Murdock feeling completely helpless. He's he's taken this guy on essentially twice and it feels like nothing is going to help. Right. And so part of his fuel is I'm going, you know, part of his crisis of faith is I'm going to kill him this time. Right. I've always tried to believe in the justice system that that was is the best way, but it's not working. This is bigger than that. And so I've got to step outside of natural law that I feel is law and order, and I've got to end his life. Yeah. Which, Which is really a fascinating turn, you know, and I think that, that that's always one of the one of the inherent tensions within this character. But that's the thing about Daredevil. That's one of the things that makes him special or that he feels is special about himself is that he will he has a lot of rage inside him. He can be incredibly brutal and he knows that in some ways the fact that he's called Daredevil, he feels that he has a daredevil inside him sometimes. Right. That he just barely contains, but he draws the line at killing. He never ever kills anybody. He's he's a lot like Batman in that way, and that's that's part of his moral grounding that makes him who he is. So the fact that he is all of a sudden considering this this sort of quote unquote Punisher change of heart, where he sees this evil and he sees this guy, the only way to stop him and is to kill him. In some ways, there are some people who would look at that and say... A lot of people. Would say, yeah, Probably that most. makes sense. Yeah. But it also is a betrayal of everything that he feels about himself. And because of that, it becomes this, this resonant... I think the whole season three, it is, it is indeed a struggle with Wilson Fisk. It is indeed a struggle for the future of Hell's Kitchen. But most of... most. Of this show is actually the biggest. The biggest tension in it is this fart fight over. <laughs> this fight over. There are probably some tension parts in there. <laughs> this fight over Matt Murdock's soul. Right. You know who he's really going to be. And that's why I didn't mind the the twist with his mom, mm. with Sister Maggie, because one thing we know about Matt Murdock is he's hardest on himself, and he's he can be very gracious to others. And, but he really struggles with it when it comes to himself, right? And he's very, which uh, is a lot like most of us, which is a, a way a lot of us are. Mm. Not all of us, but a lot of us. So I think he sort of, even though it enrages him, and probably rightfully so, to learn that he was that close to his birth mom all these years, thinking she was dead, and that she never said anything about it for twenty plus years. And he lived his whole life, you know, upset, feeling like he's got a chip on his shoulder because his mom made this mistake. Essentially, what happened was his mom was going to be a nun. She met Matt Murdock's dad at a 
you know, when they were sneaking out of the nunnery for, like, when she was a nun to be, she was right, already right. a nun, a novitiate, a novitiate, and meets this, you know, boxer and falls in love and. Has they always a, fall for the bad boys. Yeah, has a baby with him, but then goes through some crazy postpartum where she snaps. And and that's a real that you know, part of why that resonated with me is I you know, I've seen many people in my life go through that. And so it's and and to different levels, and so it's a very real thing. And so that didn't feel shoehorned to me or like right. far fetched right. for a mom to snap like this, especially when you think about the time when people really didn't know much about it. Um and so then she snaps completely, isn't taking care of the kid, and so the dad doesn't know what to do calls the you know the priest and is like you got to come get her and then decides to raise her and then she feels so terrible once she kind of recovers that she feels like there's no forgiveness for her and she better not muck up his life by ever telling right. him right and so Matt Murdock is enraged to find out that he was that close to his mom all this time and that everybody lied to him father lantham lied to him and his dad lied to him and He's All completely these betrayed. Yeah. And so he's angry about that for a little bit. But I, I think ultimately it gives him the perspective he needs to be able to make a different choice himself to see that in spite of her failings, in spite of his mom's failings, that she still, you know, tried to not let that define her and try and tried to hold on to something bigger and stronger. Like, cause that's a type of failing that a lot of people would completely give up on life, you know, either and either die sure. in real life or kill themselves, you know, to say, I, I screwed this up so bad. Right. And so I think as he processes it, and this is, this is my inference that that helps him have a perspective on what he should do right. when it comes to the, the ultimate scene where he now has the choice to kill Wilson Fisk. So that's where it all culminates. How did you feel about the culmination I built up to it. The culmination where everything's gone down and now he's face to face with Wilson Fisk. He has him at his mercy. He can kill him. And he wants to. You he know, really, really wants to. That's the thing. I think that it, it, you make some interesting points and there's so many directions we could go with this. Yeah. I mean, we could we could do two or three podcasts on this, frankly, because yeah. there's Not so every much episode. depth. You know, I think that I think that in some ways for me the turning point was not so much that reveal but Father Lantham's sacrifice in the cathedral when he saved Karen's right. life. No, no, not the reveal, but watching like watching Father Lantham and Maggie mm-hmm. after right. when he's raging against right. them. Yeah, no, and so I, I, I think that that's yeah. true. I think the that Father Lantham sacrifice. Yeah. The the show is really a lot about forgiveness, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, and I think that that it's about going on with life. Um, it's interesting that that one of the one of the codas, you see Matt talking with Maggie and saying, you know, the last time I saw Father Lantham, I said some things that I would really wish I could take back. And Maggie essentially says something to the effect of, you know what, if if that was possible, there would be no future. It would just be people reliving their lives, you know, to make up for the mistakes they made. And and that in some ways is is – a little bit about what this story is about. It's about making the mistakes, figuring out a way to go on and have hope. And when you talk about that climax, that climactic scene with uh, with Wilson Fisk, where Matt Murdock has him in his grasp, he can he can take care of this problem permanently. And the thing is, Wilson Fisk wants him to take care of him. Essentially, and I I wrote about this as well. I think that in in part of part of that is is because in this particular season, Wilson Fisk really does become the devil of Hell's Kitchen. He is not. He is a corrupter of souls. He has corrupted the entire FBI. He has corrupted one agent in particular terribly. Um, he likes nothing more than to twist people for his own purposes. And if they aren't able to be twisted, then he'll destroy them. In this climactic scene, you have the ultimate 
uh, goal of Fisk seems to be to twist and corrupt Matt Murdock's soul. Um, and so you have this scene where he essentially holds out his hand in almost like this mockery of Christ saying, kill me, kill me. You know that a jail can't hold me. And Matt Murdock says, no, God knows I want to, but you don't get to take that away from me. You don't get to take away who I am. And for me, that was incredibly powerful. As the blood was flying everywhere, (laughs) that moment was really powerful, that rejection of this great temptation and a temptation in some ways to do what could be arguably a good thing. Killing, killing this guy. But that good thing pales in comparison, I think, to, to the goodness of purpose that, that Matt Murdock feels. He knows that it's wrong and knows that it's wrong for him. And he is determined to keep his soul intact right. and not give it to Wilson Fisk, even as he takes his life. I loved that scene. Yeah, it brought the Job comparison full circle. Because if you think back to the the beginning of Job's story, it's Satan going to God and saying, this servant of yours that's so good, that loves you so much, I bet I can break him. I bet I can do so much to him. I can twist him up so good that he'll deny you. And that's the story of this season. Like, is Wilson Fisk, you know, being... And, and twisting right, that, right. you know, and he's done it before, right. So really, it brings the the arc overall, the three season arc, yeah, full circle to say he's been twisting at your soul, he's been bringing your world down around you, on top of you, and here's the in in this climax, it's have I won, right? Kill me, like I, I will win if you kill me, right? And it'll feel like I've won even if you don't kill me, and. But realizing that there's something deeper, that there's a trust in a higher power, yeah. you know, and, and that is bigger than that. And yeah. then ultimately him not snapping and not being completely twisted ends up being the victory and kind of crushes the soul of Fisk. We'll see, obviously, yeah. if they decide to make He's more. He's such a good bad guy, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, it's hard yeah, to see. It was a really compelling way to kind of bring that Job story subtly all the way back around yeah. and to say, in this moment, have I broken you? Yeah. It, have you been so twisted that you're going to snap? Yeah. It, it was a it was a beautiful season, and I don't say that lightly. It was brutal and it was horrible. And often there were actually moments, like the, the next to last season, it was hard for me to watch. Yeah. Like when, when I hear really that you, hard. when I hear that you binged it, I don't know if my my soul could have taken it because there's just some hard stuff. But it was it came to such a beautiful conclusion that in some ways, as much as I like what Daredevil has been on Netflix, I almost wish that this was going to be the last season. This yeah. three season arc was just totally perfect in some ways. And I think this would be a great way to end it and to finish out on top. Yeah. I'll, I, I agree with you there. It's the best show that Netflix has. It's one of the best shows on just in general of any platform or TV show. But, and so like for that reason, of course I'd like to see more daredevil, but this three season arc, the three acts, mm. We don't gives need, me tingles. Yeah, I, I I do want them to leave it alone. So yeah. I'll leave it there and say, uh, <laughs> Paul's co- content caveat is right on. <laughs> it is very very violent. Um, Lots of comfortably so because really again, uncomfortably they so. want to they want to you know they give you home. the experience of the right. the hell in Hell's Kitchen that Murdoch is experiencing, and so it can be tough to watch. Um, but there yeah. you go. What did you think about Daredevil, if you watched it, or these types of stories in general? What's one that resonated with you? Um, you can hit us up on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. In the most least important thing, Paul, AC, and Jake Roberson bring to you their favorite things. The things that are the most important or the least important. Or a little bit of both. 
it's their choice to pick them and decide. Here we are with Jake Roberson and Paul Acey. Jake, why don't you go first? <laughs> well, thank you, Jake. Um, yeah, for my most least important thing this week, I, uh, I saw a little trailer last week that piqued my interest for a new film that's not really a new film, but it is a new film coming to theaters here, just here shortly. Oh. And it's called Once Upon a Deadpool. I knew you were going to be talking about that. Did you? Well, I as soon as you said a new film that's not that's a new not, film. Not a new film. I knew Citizen Kane wasn't coming out again. <laughs> Once Upon a Deadpool. This is a fascinating thing to me. So essentially what we have is Deadpool 2, not even cold yet. It came out in theaters this year. <laughs> <laughs> and in all of its R-rated, probably should be more than R-rated. Oh my goodness! Anti-glory it is so extreme. Uh, they decided. They decided. You know what? You know what the problem with Deadpool is? Not enough parents are taking their kids to see it. <laughs> and so we're going to make a PG-13 version for the kiddies. And which so has got to be what twenty-five minutes long now. <laughs> well, that's so. Here's the. That's what I'm fascinated to see. Here is. They're making a PG-13 cut of uh, Deadpool 2. They're repackaging it with a couple extra scenes with Deadpool and a grown-up Fred Savage a la Princess Bride, (laughs) which leads to some great moments in the trailer. Very funny. But – and and the writers themselves have said in an interview that this was to make it for parents and kids who weren't quite old enough to see – Yeah. The R-rated version. And I, I'm i not sure how I feel about that. Like, on the one hand, I love the style of humor of Deadpool. I haven't seen Deadpool 1 or 2. But my – like, the character itself, I reviewed the video game a couple years ago. I love this self-effacing, fourth-wall-breaking, sarcastic, you know, humor. I love that in the trailer for this movie, they make fun of the studio – like the studio that is making and releasing this movie. Like they completely slam it. And I love that about this. However, I don't know how I feel about this entry-level drug for the kiddies. Like is that really a good thing? You know, and I'm I'm right there with you. It's a really difficult thing because – okay. So I reviewed both Deadpool and Deadpool 2 and they are – they are incredibly foul. I mean, the, when you say that they're pushing the R rating, that's no exaggeration. I mean, they're super foul. They're super violent. There's some sexual content. It's There's a lot of content caveat for this. But they're also very well written. It's it's a very witty um, superhero type of story. And, and Deadpool 2 keeps that, that wit there. And frankly... And, of course, the the type of reviewer that I am, I would say this. The charm of the Deadpool movies has nothing to do with the content, really. I mean, you can you can strip out all that content and have that charm still very much at work. But because the movies are so gall-dang fun in certain ways. <laughs> the PG-13 ways, cut yeah, of Paul's you know. review. <laughs> It's it's really tricky because of course it, it will whet their appetite and and let's be honest Ryan Reynolds he's a pretty funny dude oh, he's hilarious he is funny if you have not seen Ryan Reynolds and and Hugh Jackman's fake political advertisements oh I haven't oh what? you gotta see those I those did are just hilarious. see I, I did see a thing about it but I haven't watched them yet so yeah you got to watch them because they are they are very funny and yeah. and and Ryan Reynolds just he's just He's just kind of hilarious when he wants to be. Yeah. But he's also extremely foul when he wants to be. So it's it's yeah. I'm I'm torn too. I'm sure I'm going to be reviewing it so yeah. I'll find out. We'll see what more. we'll see like yeah, how how long will the movie be anyways? Like yeah. will they literally just cut from the worst stuff and yeah. it's like well you didn't see it. Yeah, I don't, know. It, it, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It'll yeah. be interesting to see. So there you go, Once Upon a Deadpool. All right. So <laughs> now in theaters Near you. Or soon. (laughs) Or soon. Or soon. So, Jake, I know what you can be wearing to your special screening of Once Upon a Deadpool. 
Oh, I haven't even seen the screening invite for that yet. No, I, I don't think there's a screening. But <laughs> there's not when you go see it, because I know you're going to be in line for it. Yeah. And what you can do as you're standing in line is you can, uh, you have this nice, you have this nice beard thing going on. I do. Right? I, I I rock the beard. You rock the beard. There is a new uh, doodad for you for the holidays. Okay. You can now. There are now companies that make lights for your beard. Lights for my beard. Holiday lights Dad, that blink. Dad gummit. I just cut my beard just like two months no, ago. Yeah. Remember how long it was? Yeah, you could have totally broken uh, those lights what? in. Yeah, there's, they didn't get this product to the market soon enough. They're called Beardo Bobbles. Ooh. And they can they come for you can buy them for fourteen dollars if you so wish mm. for eighteen multicolored LED lights that flash. So how do they, does it say like how they attach to the beard? Well, they clip on. Oh, they clip on. Yeah, yeah. So you could you could probably put them in your hair if you wish. Interesting. I couldn't because I don't yeah. have enough hair to clip anything on. But I really do think that it would be a good look for you, yeah. Jake. Uh, it's just I just trimmed. I don't I don't know if I have enough hair to clip onto right now. I mean, this summer, like I grew my beard out to I, I had about five six inches of beard, and it was. <laughs> It was it was monstrous. It was like King Leonidas out of three hundred, and that would have been perfect for some clip-on beard oh, bubbles. Yeah. But see, they might have gotten lost then. They would have would just been glowing behind all the foliage, right? So that kind of would have been sweet though. Like just to have a light emanating from <laughs> from, from inside from sort of your my, neck area. Yeah, that'd be kind of that'd be kind of awesome. Be like, dude, dude's got a glow about yeah. him. Versus it's your own you know, special superpower. Yeah. Versus like when they're. Front and center, those lights can be really bright and almost too bright for the eye to focus on, so yeah. they get kind of blurry. Yeah. But when they're like nestled in the beard, and then I've just got this glorious halo of light surrounding yeah. the beard, that'd be kind of awesome. Yeah, well, well, like, now I know for next year. Well, or you could always use it on your back hair, you know? That's mm. true. That's true. I basically am a no, I, I haven't grown a whole lot of back hair yet. So you say? Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Maybe as I get older, I'll uh, get a nice crop back there and get some beardo bobbles oh. and hit up the pool. <laughs> Obviously, we'll be able to swim, but otherwise, it'll be great. Otherwise, it'll be great. Well, that does it for this time. <laughs> you wanna you wanna see my beard with beardo bobbles? Uh, if I ever have it, you'll see it on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. Until next time, and we talk about the Star Wars holiday special. So excited! We will catch you on the flip side. Bye.